Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases, to historic kidnapping, to gangsters, and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I am your host, Larry Lease. Today we're diving into seven of history's most unbelievable heists. Discover the astounding stories behind the biggest heist in history, whether the perpetrators were eventually captured, the case remains unsolved. Before we do, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out today at pondex.com. Use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. So now let's get into the seven most unbelievable heists in history. From ingenious bank robberies, in that time a couple of malicious thieves fastened a collar bomb around a pizza delivery guy's neck to the elaborate mafia-backed Luthanza heist. These are the most astonishing graphs in recent history. And as notorious as some of these heists are, it's likely you've never heard of the people who carried them out. And some were so brilliantly conceived that we may never find the true culprits. Number seven, the still unsolved Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. Eccentric art collector Isabella Stewart Gardner had only the noblest intentions when she opened her magnificent Boston home to the public in order to display her impressive art collection. Gardner's collection was made up of masterpieces from the likes of Rembrandt and Vermeer, and it was assembled after a lifetime of travel. That's why it is all the most more devastating when on the night of March 18, 1990, two men posing as police officers forced their way into the museum and made off with over 500 million worth of the world's finest paintings and drawings. The Gardner Museum heist remains the largest private property theft in American history and features the largest bounty ever offered by a private institution. On the night of the burglary, the two security guards that work at the museum, Rick Abeth and Randy Heston, had no reason to believe that it would be anything more than a perfectly ordinary shift. But at 1.20 a.m., bath allowed two police officers to enter the museum when they claimed that they were investigating a noise complaint. Within 11 minutes, the two intruders handcuffed and blindfolded both guards and told them of their true intentions, then left them tied up at the museum basement with a warning to keep quiet. 
The burglars claimed that they would receive a reward in a year's time if they did so. With no one to interfere, the thieves went on a crime spree through the museum. Cutting Ramirez the, con the concert, Rembrandt's the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and a lady and gentleman in black, as well as landscape with obelisk from their frames after flinging them to the floor in order to break their protective glass. They then snatched a bronze beaker from China's Shang Dynasty, followed by a tiny self-portrait by Rembrandt, five sketches by Edgar Degas, a French imperial eagle, and finally, they pinched Ches Tortoni by Manette. After the guards were discovered the next morning, investigators could only say one thing for sure. The two thieves almost certainly knew nothing about art. They'd overlooked some of the most priceless paintings and objects in the city, while the schedule, sketches, eagle, and bronze beaker were worth only a few tens of thousands of dollars collectively. Over the years, police have failed to prove that any of their numerous suspects, which included international art thieves and local gangsters, were responsible. Indeed, the police's best lead, a geriatric Boston mobster named Robert Gentile, is said to be released from prison where he was incarcerated on a weapons charge. To this day, the stolen artwork has never been recovered, and the museum still offers a $10 million reward for any information leading to its recovery. Number six, the $6 million Lufthansa robbery making it one of the biggest heists in history. In today's world of omnipresent surveillance, especially at the airports, it's difficult to imagine that New York was once a land of opportunity for anyone with the nerve to knock over the city's top dollar targets. And the largest of these by far was the 1978 Lufthansa heist which is also perhaps the most valuable crime ever committed in the name of the American Mafia. The heist was largely orchestrated by Louis Warner, an employee of the German airline, with a severe gambling problem. Warner and his co-worker, Peter Grunewald, had long been planning to steal millions of unmarked banknotes for one of Luthans's regular shipments of cash. Unfortunately for Grunewald, Warner told his bookie, Martin Krugman, about the heist which he intended to use in order to pay off his $20,000 gambling debt to him. Krugman then took the information to his acquaintance, Henry Hill, who worked closely with Krugman's friend, Jimmy the Gent Burke, a feared associate of the Lucci's crime family and a proficient robber. Burke offered to organize the heist on behalf of his patrons in return for a sizable cut. Burke sent a hand-picked crew of associates, including his son Frank and the dangerous, violent Tommy DeSimon, and went off to the Lufthansa cargo terminal at John F. Kennedy Airport. In the early hours of December 11, 1978, in just over an hour, the crew took six employees hostage and stole nearly six million in untraceable cash and jewelry, with a combined value of roughly $23.4 million today. The heist had gone off perfectly, but the plot came undone when their getaway driver, Edward Parnell, messed up. Rather than taking the forward 
Econoline van they used in the heist of a mob owned scrapyard in New Jersey. He left it in park at the front of his girl's girlfriend's house in Brooklyn. The oversight sent Burke into a paranoid frenzy. He ordered the murders of all but five of the 13 participants to cover his tracks. Burke and Hill did eventually go to prison, but on charges unrelated to the heist. In the end, the only person to serve time for the heist was Lewis Warner, who spent 15 years behind bars for tipping Burke and his gang off. Only a small portion of the stolen money was ever recovered, and the fate of the rest of the fortune may never be known. Number five, the $100 million diamond heist that was foiled by a receipt. Of all the modern heists in this episode, the Antwerp diamond heist of 2003 can be the one that most closely resembles the plot of a Hollywood thriller. Masterminded by professional thief Leonardo Natarbertolo, the target was nothing less than the biggest diamond district in the world, where the vast majority of the world's Rough diamonds were and still are traded. Before him and his gang pulled off their heist, its security was thought to be impenetrable. He set the plan in motion in 2000 when he rented the largest office building in the Diamond Center and used his legitimate train as a jeweler there as his cover. He memorized every detail of building security and assembled a team of thieves who perfected their art in robberies throughout Europe. Electronics and arms expert Elio Denorio Mechanic and lock picker Ferdinando Finotto and childhood friend Pietro Tavano. The final member of the gang was a mysterious key forger known only as the King of Keys. On the night of February 16, 2003, the gang penetrated 10 layers of state of the art security with an assortment of basic materials, including hairspray, a broomstick, and electrical tape. Once inside the vault, they swiped jewels worth anywhere from 100 million to over 400 million. They then made a smooth escape, splitting up to make their way back to Italy. All that was left to do was burn the trash from their heist, including receipts and empty jewelry bags. Nota Bartolo entrusted this task to his friend Tavano, but Tavano's natural nervousness got the better of him and he simply dumped the refuse in a forest. A local caretaker found the tra trash and noticed the diamond bags, called the police, who used a receipt from a shopping trip to track down Nota Bartolo. He got 10 years for the robbery, while Tavano, Dionorio, and Fanoto got 5 years each. But neither the mysterious fifth thief nor any of the stolen jewels were ever found. Bizarre collar bomb heist that put a delivery guy in dire straits. When Brian Wells began his shift as a pizza delivery driver on August 28, 2003, he perhaps had no idea that he would end the day as the sole victim of the collar bomb heist, which was one of the most horrifying in modern history. Wells' first delivery of the day was to an address on the outskirts of Erie, Pennsylvania. When he arrived, he was surprised to see that he wasn't delivering to a house, but to a TV transmission station. It's unclear what happened when he stepped into the small building, but what's certain is that Wells emerged a short time later, wearing a metal collar around his neck that featured four key locks and two pipe bombs mounted on it. The 
Nefarious plot was orchestrated by Marjorie Deal Armstrong, a troubled woman with a suspicious history of dead husbands and boyfriends. At some point, she handed Wells a shotgun shaped like a cane and nine pages of instructions that were coldly addressed to Bomb Hostage. The document detailed how Wells was to complete several tasks in order to gain the keys he needed to remove the bomb. The first was to rob a local branch of a PNC bank, which he did, walking away with $8,702 in cash. Bank employees immediately tipped off the police, who found Wells standing by his car. After he told them what was around his neck, the police placed him in a nearby parking lot called the Bomb Squad. But three minutes before they arrived, the bomb detonated, killing Wells instantly on live television. The ensuing investigation did nothing to make the case any clearer. One conspirator even led police to believe that Wells was in on the plot from the beginning and that he intended to wear a fake bomb as a decoy, only to find that Deal Armstrong and the other conspirators had changed their minds and forced Wells to wear a real bomb instead. But seeing as nearly all of Deal Armstrong's accomplices have since died or were murdered, the truth may never be known. Number three. Vincenzo Perugia and his successful theft of the Mona Lisa. Seriously apologize for butchering all these names, but I'm not good at Italian names or other names like that. Da Vinci is one of history's best known figures for both his scientific and artistic genius. And his most famous painting, The Mona Lisa, might not be the iconic masterpiece we know it. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. To be not for its brazen theft by ex-Louv employee Vincent, Vincenzo Perugia. He was just shy of his 30th birthday when he walked into the Louvre on the morning of August 21st, 1911. He aroused no suspicion. Due to his previous employment as a handyman for the museum, he was dressed in the uniform smock all employees wear at the time. He waited until the Salon Carré, the wing in which Da Vinci's surprisingly small painting hung, was empty. Then he simply reached out, lifted the wood panel off the wall, and carried it into a nearby service staircase. Then he wrapped the 30 by 21 inch painting in his smock, tucked it under his arm, and walked out. Two years later, he spirited the painting across the Italian border and offered it to Alfredo Gary, a gallerist in Florence, and Perugia was immediately arrested. When asked why he'd stolen the now-famous painting, he claimed he'd done so out of patriotism, in a mistaken belief that it had been looted by Napoleon's troops in the 1790s. The painting was actually given, it, given as a gift to the King of France in 1516. The motivation seemed doubtful anyway, considering that Perugia asked Geary for money in exchange for the painting. Regardless of his motivation, the Mona Lisa was displayed throughout Italy before returning to the Louvre in 1913. 
Ironically, when he stole it, Mona Lisa was one of da Vinci's least known, least impressive, and least valuable works. Its petty theft changed all that. However, today it's worth at least $860 million, the highest insurance value for any painting in history. Number two, D.B. Cooper's Unsolved Skyjacking Heist, which we actually did an episode on the D.B. Cooper case. If you want to watch it just click the little card up top here around here somewhere you'll see it pop up few heists have the same air of eerie mystery as that db cooper's heist which remains the only unsolved skyjacking in history following a meticulously planned hostage situation cooper dropped out of the air and off the record never to be seen again the infamous heist began the day before thanksgiving on november 24th 1971, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305 filled up about a third of its seats with passengers bound for Seattle. Among them was, quote, Dan Cooper, a quiet middle-aged man in a black business suit. Shortly after takeoff, Cooper informed the flight attendant that he had a bomb and several demands. 200,000, four parachutes, and for the Boeing 727-100 to be refueled immediately upon landing. He promised that he wouldn't harm any of the passengers, but that four crew members would have to stay behind. Cooper stuck to his word, releasing the passengers as soon as he was given the money and the parachutes. Once the plane was refueled, he instructed the pilots to take off, keep the plane low, stay slow, and unpressurized. The plane was nevertheless followed by several other aircrafts from the Air Force and Air National Guard. As they flew from Seattle to Reno, Nevada, Cooper made use of his parachutes and jumped. The FBI never positively, positively identified the hijacker. Among the suspects they arrested was one D.B. Cooper, an Oregon resident, who was eventually released. But a reporter confused the alias Dan Cooper with the innocent Oregon, Oregon man in the name Stuck. What they could say for certain was that Cooper, or whatever the hijacker's name really was, was knowledgeable about aircraft, knew intimate capabil capabilities of the 727, and was able to correctly identify locations in eastern Washington by sight from the air. The combined with his knowledge of the McCord Air Force Base and the intricacies of military parachutes suggested he had a military background. But after decades of fruitless investigation, Investigators still have never gotten close to identifying the mysterious air pirate. The FBI suspended the investigation officially in 2019. And before we get to our final um, biggest heist in history, number one, we'd like to thank our sponsor again, Pondex, for sponsoring this episode. You can use the promo code Larry21 at Pondex.com for 10% off your order. They have some great materials to use to grow your podcast. But yes. And also, if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. And now, on to number one, the Great Train Robbery, 1963. Train robberies might seem like something that died in the 19th century, but in 1963... A daring group of British criminals revived the concept of one of the world's most legendary heists. Career criminals Bruce Reynolds, 
Gordon Goody, Ronald Edwards, and Charlie Wilson were informed by a senior employee of the Royal Mail, known only as the Ulsterman, thanks to his Irish accent, that millions of British pounds sterling were being transported from Glasgow to London. Eager for the opportunity, the four robbers who called themselves the Southwest Gang took weeks to plan their heist. Gradually, however, they realized that they needed much more help to pull it off. So they joined forces with a dozen experts from another gang known as the South Coast Raiders. They set their plan in motion on the night of August 8, 1963, just outside the village of Cheddington, about 40 miles north of London. The men had chosen that specific date because the weekend of the 5th would be a three-day holiday and the train would be carrying a much larger amount of cash than usual for shopping trips and vacation. The gangsters manipulated the train to halt by tampering a signal and then immediately boarded the train and beat the conductor over the head. As the conductor bled, he was forced to drive the first few cars down the track to a waiting truck where within 20 minutes the gang broke into the cash-laden front car and removed 2.6 million pounds worth over 7 million today. Police were kick or quick and efficient to the response, and by the end of the year, 10 of the 18 robbery robbers were arrested, and three more in the five years following. Two escaped prison, and one of these, Ronnie Biggs, spent 36 years in exile in Australia and Brazil before returning to the UK in poor health in 2001. Although police only recovered about 375,000 pounds, it hardly mattered. In 1971, the pound was decimalized and the remaining notes were rendered worthless, even to collectors. Many of these heists were the products of meticulous planning. It's incredible just how elaborate they became. One might think that the most successful occurred in a time where fingerprint and DNAs were distant ideas. But the still unsolved case of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum occurred in the 90s. Though not all of them ended with a cash cow, they were all successful in scoring a place in history. Let us know in the comment section below what, what do you consider the biggest heist that we discussed. And do you think the money from some of these cases will ever be found? Let us know. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. And as always, thank you for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash true crime never sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.